Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Peak Earth. I'm your host, Case Bradford. Today's episode is with Dr. Phil Perlman. Dr. Perlman is currently writing about health and is shifting his focus into that arena. He's been successful in business and tech. He has a PhD in clinical psychology. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a brilliant guy. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Phil Perlman. How are you today? Casey, what's up, man? I'm feeling great. Uh, I got a little run in this morning. I feel fantastic. Uh, thank you for asking, and thank you for having me as well. Beautiful. It's it's an honor. And we were just jamming it up before this podcast. We talked about all kinds of things. One of them was informed intuition, which really sparked my curiosity. I'd, I'd love to hear a little more about how you landed on that idea and what, what excites you about it. So this is an idea. Okay, so in, 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 in informed intuitivism... I've just been thinking about this very, very recently. And then you asked me to come on this podcast and I was like, man, this is perfect for us to talk about because I think this is an area of fitness where we are like, uh, have a commonality. We are both more spontaneous people. You probably get bored fairly easily with routine. That's what I'm guessing. And you're creative in your fitness endeavor. You don't go out and say, uh, okay, well, today is a, a B day. I'm going to run five miles. I'm going to have this for lunch. You don't have a, you're not a routine guy. And not that there's anything wrong with routines at all. Um, people have incredible effectiveness. We were talking about uh, Peter Atia. I mean, he's a, you know, super successful, incredibly healthy guy, brilliant, great. He has a great podcast. He has a great podcast out right now on Huberman. He was interviewed by Huberman. Amazing. I recommend everybody watch it. But he's a super, you know, he's a super goal-oriented routine guy. He's like, hey, I want to improve my VO2 max. I'm going to do this today, this tomorrow, this the next day. This is my, this is the, the, the routine towards getting there. Me and you are very different than that. That's more like classical music. You know, classical music, you have the score, everybody's sitting there, the whole uh, orchestra, they all know exactly what they're going to play. They play the exact notes. It's a routine. Bach is beautiful. There's no problem with Bach. I'm just saying that's what it is. So informed intuitivism is this, and I've just been thinking about it today, uh, recently, like in the last maybe two, three weeks, and how to apply it not only to my fitness uh, life, uh, my fitness journey, but also to other areas. And so here's how it works. So informed is that we're knowledgeable in an area, right? So we keep up with, we understand how health works. We understand how our body works. We understand that uh, what we, we know what VO2 max is, how efficiently uh, uh, we're able to uh, take oxygen in and get it to our blood, right? And that is a sign of health. It's a basically cardio. It's part of cardio, I guess you would say. And we know that building muscle mass is important for longevity. And all of those types of things, we know it's bad to smoke. I mean, that's a very simplistic one, but that's another one. And so we're informed. But then the intuitivism part, so that's the informed part. The intuitivism part is that instead of having a routine, instead of having like, oh, it's A day, we're going to do this. B, D, we're going to, B day, we're going to do this. C day, we're going to do this. We go out and we just do what we feel, do what is intuitive. So the other day I went out, I went up to the park and I just was like, oh man, I'm walking around this thing with my dog. There's a, 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 an area where I can do pull-ups. I start doing some pull-ups. Man, this feels great. There's a box jump station. I had no plan to do it that day. Next thing I know, I'm doing box jumps and I'm like, oh man, this is great. And then I'm going doing sprints with my dog on the, in the center part, which is like a turf thing. So that workout was completely spontaneous. I see you doing that at the beach all the time. You just go outside and you're just freaking, you know, spinning on shit. It's crazy how you do that stuff, dude. That stuff, I mean, it is incredible. You must've worked really hard at that stuff, but you don't go out and go, hey, it's A, B, A day, B day. So the, you're intuitive about your workouts, but they're not completely random. They're informed. And so the, my analog for that, my metaphor for that is jazz music. 
right? So if you look at the virtual, and I'm really into jazz music, I'm really into music in general. But if you look at jazz improvisation and you look at the virtuosos of jazz music, John Colt, names that everybody, even if you're not a jazz fan, you recognize. Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Oscar Peterson, uh, Bill Evans, all of these guys, Eric Dolphy, all of these guys were ex, they were virtuosos in music. They knew all this, they knew all the scales. They knew all the theory. They knew the chord theory, harmonics. They had the muscle memory. They practiced so much that they could do anything and play anything and know everything. And then what they would do is they would get up on stage with each other and they would just play and they would improvise and they would forget. They wouldn't, there was no thinking. There was no like conscious thought about all of that theory and all of that memory. They would just do it. And it became very uh, intuitive, very, uh, and if, and you know, you could go see a uh, lot jazz today. And if you see great players, they're up there and they're doing things and they're playing off of each other and they're experimenting and they're taking crazy turns and nothing is, you know, they may have a loose structure. They may have a loose chord structure, uh, you know, for what that song is, but they are improvising all over that structure. And that is informed intuitivism. And I thought of it because of you, because I know that you're the same way. I love to do that as well. And I'm getting more and more into it. Beautiful. And it really is an, an emerging concept. I know for me, it's been something that's coming online these past few years and I've seen it in, in others as well. And there's not much of a, a name or, or a concept for it. Did, did you create this concept and it, it sort of invent this idea or did you read about it in, in a text somewhere? You know, I invented it. I invented the, the term, but I didn't invent the concept. Um, you know, um, you know, Freud once said, uh, I didn't discover the unconscious. I just built a theory around it. I didn't, you know, I didn't discover, uh, informed intuitivism, jazz musicians, all great artists, anybody who's a virtuoso in anything that they do, there's an element of that. In addition to that, I think that it goes as far back as the Eastern religions. So, you know, we're going back thousands of years ago where, you know, in Taoism, they say do by non-doing or undoing or non, you know, I do, I do by non-doing, you know, a more recent poet, um, Theodore Rocky said something like, I wake to sleep and take my waking slow. I learn by going where I have to go. So I didn't invent any of this stuff. I just came up with a fancy term and I'm applying it to my exercise routine and I'm seeing other people do it as well like yourself. So it was an inspiration. And I'll tell you where it sparked. I've always had, you know, a foot in that door, uh, Eastern thought and so forth. But I went, I, tr I, I just recently ran a half marathon and my training for it was all over the place. You know, like I have this book called training for a half marathon and I read the book. So I was informed but man, I would be bored out of my freaking mind if I just looked at that, you know, like it has a table, week one, do this day one, do this day two. And it's like 12 weeks of training for the marathon and every day I'm going to do it. No, you know what I mean? I knew I needed to get in regular long runs. I knew that. I knew I needed to do some hills. I knew that. I knew I needed to do some shorter runs. I knew I needed to have a base before even coming into it. So I knew I had the informed part, but I wasn't going to follow that table. And as a matter of fact, I got really far away from that table. There were some days where I didn't run at all because I was tired or busy doing something else or whatever. And there were days where, you know, my hill running really wasn't hill running. It was more sprints. And there were days where, you know, my long run wasn't a 10 mile run. It was a, an eight mile run. And then I later that day, I did the rowing machine or something like that. Like I just completely mixed it up, changed it around, never looked at the graph once. And then going into the run, I was really worried. Like I was like, fuck, maybe I didn't train well for this, you know, because I really didn't follow the thing. You know, I got my long runs in weekly. I got my being in the bang and I tapered and all that. But, and then uh, I went out and ran it and I fucking kicked ass. So I was like, oh, okay. 
this is cool. Uh, you know, the, you know, just being kind of a little bit more intuitive about it, having a little less structure about it, uh, worked. Okay. And obviously it's working for you too. You just go out and play on the beach and you're freaking swimming, uh, swinging from the monkey bars, like a freaking uh, chimpanzee. And you know, you're in super great health. So I figured this was a perfect thing to talk about today. Beautiful. I'm, I'm 100% aligned with, with what you're describing. And I remember just, a. A moment ago, you said that I'm doing crazy things on the beach and, and I must work really hard for that. And I've heard other people say the same. And the funny thing is I don't, I haven't worked at all for it. You know, it's, it's 100% play and not to be too much of a dork about this, but like I never work out because it's just not work. I'm, I'm out there being playful. And when people ask me what I'm doing or, or what I do to stay, stay fit, I describe it exactly the way you've described it with jazz. I said, well, if you're going to pick up a musical instrument and play notes, you just start playing. And that's jazz. I do the same thing with, with movement. I just put myself in the space and then just start moving. And whatever emerges from that, it's a form of movement jazz. And I'm not planning it or scripting it or following any protocols. I'm just letting it emerge intuitively just from wherever that comes from. It's just forming itself, unfolding from the present moment. And, and I've found a tremendous amount, or honestly, a really surprising amount of, of fitness from that, but also a significant amount of joy with, that I wasn't expecting. And I'm trying to find ways to kind of share that with folks and um, really enjoy it. It's, it's, it's not something I see too often, but it's really worth playing with. And are you basing it on any knowledge that you have or any other models uh, that, you're, that you're building this off of? Not, not knowingly, but I'm sure that, I mean, so I, I do this practice down, down in, original muscle beach in, in Santa Monica. It, it's a, it's an outdoor gym that was formed in the 1930s during the great depression. There's all sorts of structures like, um, monkey, there's these giant monkey bars that you have to really be fit to use because they're six feet apart. You fly through the air, catch from one bar to the other, these large ropes that you can climb up. There's a big green space. And this area is, is known internationally throughout the movement community as, as a place to go and, and interact with other movers, other movement virtuosos. So there are people there doing things that I had never seen before when I first got there. And over time, I would just see things that someone was doing and, and think, oh, that looks interesting. Wonder what, I wonder if I could do that. Or um, even on Instagram or TikTok or any video platform, YouTube, you'll see people doing things and think, oh, that's, that looks interesting. I wonder if I could do that. So over time, that likely made its way into my subconscious. It has been emerging through just natural curiosity of, of seeing these, these movements be performed. That is fantastic. So it's really from uh, modeling and observation of other people uh, enacting this stuff. And you use the word play, which is the same word that a jazz musician would use. You, you play. And this is really cool. Um, if you go back to your childhood, right? Man, play is central play is 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 a primary activity it's how we learn about the world and it's much much more than that it's a creativity uh it's a it's a conduit to creativity and uh it seems like people have a tendency to lose uh some of that playful spark as they get older and that is really too bad because it's a, it's a, it's a primary component of so many aspects of, of life and enjoyment of life play, uh, super, super important. And, uh, it just sounds like you're playing, like you're not working, you're not routining or whatever the word would be that goes with that. Uh, you're just playing. And that is like freaking beautiful. It is. And it, it is wild how this, really essential energy, this force of nature that, that we call play, how, it, how it's seen as like this childish activity. Meanwhile, science has been done on it, books have been written about it, about how it's almost a, a nutrient, it's almost a form of nourishment. Everyone needs to be playing on a regular basis to release the tension of life, of, of modern life especially, but also just of being a responsible adult. Like we all have tensions and, and struggles and 
and suffering and play is such an amazing way to release that. I think when I, when I, when I think about sort of the mainstream way that people play, it's kind of through alcohol abuse, right? They oftentimes this is done through like just getting drunk and being a goofball. And that's, that's fun. But every week, every, you know, there's a, there's a certain frequency where that becomes a problem. We've, we've got to find other forms of play. I think video games is another one, but people are just kind of sitting there. Um, is that really play at, at the end of the day? Like, Maybe, maybe you're scratching the surface of play. What, what do you think of, of play as like, what is it as a root at its root level? Play is primary. We don't just see it in kids. It is, it's, it's devalued by adults who have lost that spirit. But really it is pro- of primary importance to living creatures. And there's multiple ways that we know that. One way is we see it in the animal kingdom, right? So it's not just us doing it. It's animals playing. As a matter of fact, I was up early this morning and I spent about a half hour just playing with my dog, you know? Like I have a sock, throwing it, the dog catches it, drops it at my feet, I throw it again, catches it fakes dropping it at my feet and then takes off and wants me to chase her. This is play. This is an animal playing. And the reason that it's playing is for, there's multiple reasons. One, it's fun, right? It's fun. It's just fun. You know, why do dogs get the zoomies? Like you ever see dogs running around in circles? You know why they get the zoomies? Because it's fun. Running is just fun. Like sprinting with everything you have in the world around in circles is fun. Kids know that. Adults forget it. So number one, it's just fun, right? Number two, it sparks creativity, which is also fun. Well, we get fulfillment from that. We are creative animals. This is a constructivist universe that we live in. We create our reality. We construct our reality. We reconstruct it continuously over and over and over again. And so that is two, we're we're, we're creating our reality. We're telling our story. Three, uh, and this one is very, very, very critical, especially in sort of what we were talking about in play in in, in children, is that it's a way, oh, and you actually alluded to it too. It's a way that we learn about the world. It's a way that we learn about the world. We play, we experiment. We try things on, we play, you know, you could play house, right? You're a little kid and you like, hey, I'll, you know, you have your siblings and it's like, oh, I'll be the daddy, I'll be the mommy, you're the little brother, the dog is the thing. We are figuring out the world, we're learning. You were talking about it in terms of uh, social learning, right? You were watching other people do it and you were like, wow, that dude swung from these bars that are this far apart, that's badass. I got to try, I got to figure out how to do that. So you're learning. Uh, it's a kinesthetic learning in your case, because you're it's, it's movement, but you're just learning about the world. So there's so many uh, purposes. And so it's no wonder that it is a drive within us. It's no wonder that we have this propulsion to play. And it's no wonder that we derive pleasure out of it. Because that's kind of nature's way of saying, hey, you're learning something here. Let's make it fun so you make sure you learn that thing. And so it's no wonder that dogs love to do it too, because that's how they learn about the world. You ever watch a, you know, like you watch in uh, the Nature Channel or whatever, and you see these little lion cubs and they're crawling all over each other and playing and wrestling, but not really. They're just, they're just learning, you know, they're having fun and they're learning about the world. So it's primary. It's super important. Learning, creativity, and fun. Three really important aspects of of life to continue to ascend on the path to being a self-actualized human being. And one one thing that came to mind is is when you mentioned the dogs doing the zoomies. I had always I always love when dogs do that. And I tried it myself the other day. I took my clothes off and ran around the apartment just like a dog doing zoomies. And it was actually it was pretty fun. I could see why dogs do that. There you go. It's fun. Got to do it. Sometimes, sometimes I'll go out back and the dog will run around 
so my I didn't train I didn't train her that way. In some ways she's trained pretty well, in other ways not really that well. And she won't play fetch with me. I'll throw her the ball and then she'll get the ball. She'll come over kind of close to me and drop it. And then when I go to pick it up, she picks it up and runs away. So she like wants me to chase her. She didn't learn it right. I didn't teach it. It's behavioral. I, I, I messed up, but she's having fun. So she starts running around the, 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 uh, the swing set that we have uh, for the kids when they were younger. And I just chase her fucking fun, dude. Yep. Like I'm doing the zoom. I'm running around in circles with her and I'm having a ball doing that. Uh, zoomies are fun. And you, you know, you did it, uh, completely independently. I can't even believe we're having this conversation that you just like, how long ago was that? That was like a week ago. I just had this spontaneous and it was some intuitive and it was a uh, informed intuitivism. I just decided to, to get down in, into my, into under my birthday suit and, and scamper around the house, just like emulating a dog. And man, I'm, anyone listening who's in a funk, just try that right now. Pause this podcast strip down, run around your place, and then get back to it. I guarantee you feel just at least 10% more human, a little, a little bit more elevated and, and ready to, to take on life. It's, it's, it's a great little recharge. So listen, anybody who's watching this right now, people, if you're watching today and you're feeling blue, you have a little, you know, a little depression, maybe just a little sadness, you're lethargic, here's what you do. Freaking... Get 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 naked and run around the apartment for like five minutes. Guaranteed, Casey says, prescription, you're gonna feel better. I I, I can't I can't back that up enough. I'm I'm betting 98% chance that that's better than uh, SSRIs, better than uh, antidepressant. Uh, medication. You won't hear this on the Hubermanitia podcast, but it, you, it, it's it's no. it's legit. It's it's solid. It, you got it. You got to integrate this into your routine, into your morning habits. It's got to be one of the first things you do. Yeah, a smaller smaller research uh, basis for this. N of two. You found it. I found it. But we're feeling pretty strong about this. Yes. Go run around. Go run around in your apartment. Go run in circles. You're going to feel bad. One thing that came to mind while you were describing the, the power of play is that the, it's really, it's really a, it's seen as a, kid, a kid's activity, but also what's coming to mind is the way that you describe informed intuitivism that almost sounds like a way to reframe play for a modern, more mature adult audience in a way. Not, it's not aligned completely, but it's, it's really similar, at least with my experience sort of with that practice you know, integrating the learning aspect of the information with the intuition, which really is pure raw creativity in my experience. You're just tapping into the creative force that that propels every moment of this universe unfolding. That's to me, that's what intuition is. That's it, that spark is inside all of us, and we're just kind of letting that emerge organically without impeding it with our with our own sort of ego. And 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 then that last aspect of it is fun. Is kind of the result of, of integrating our learning with our, with our creativity. And it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful part of life. You know, the thing that you make me think of when you say that is this, um, you, 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 you're taking the term intuitive and extending my definition. And the thing that you make me think of when you say that is let's contextualize this within the culture that we're living in. Okay. So this is not happening in a vacuum. We're not having this discussion today in a vacuum and we're not talking about something that's out of the usual um, in a vacuum either. And it just so happens that we live in a culture today in the United States that has moved very, very far away from intuition, from instinct, from fun. And we're very highly intellectualized. There was a line, who was that? Uh, what was her name? She was a, uh, she's still around. She's a great rock and roll. She's a great artist. And she wrote this song, Cheryl Crow. She wrote this song, uh, one of her first hits, she had a line in the song that said he was high in intellectualism. 
great freaking line, a very interesting line because there are scales, there are psychological scales. Um, I don't know if we mentioned it to, this at the top of the show, but I, I, I'm a psychologist. I, I was a shrink, used to be a shrink back in the day. I don't practice anymore. I got way, way you know, I went into behavior economics and now I'm all into health. But um, there are scale, personality scales. And one of the scales is intellectualism. And it's not really a good thing. And as a matter of fact, you go back again to the early analysts, the early psychologists, and they had, they viewed intellectualism when we intellectualize everything as a defense, as a defense mechanism, because as a way of removing us from our emotions. So let's say we're having all of these emotions that we don't want to deal with and we don't want to experience. How do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we could do that is by making everything about intellect and making everything about the, the, uh, the, the reasoning and the data around everything. So we're pre- it's actually a defense. So we're living in a culture today that is just real, you know, to she- steal Sheryl Crow's line, it's high in intellectualism. And we are very far away from our instincts, from our intu- intuition, from our creativity, from play. And it's one of the reasons why you were talking about um, alcohol before. Uh, it's a, that's another mechanism that we can use to sort of remove ourselves from, you know, so what happens is, is we get all intellectual about everything. We push away uh, or we, you know, repress our emotions and then that shit bubbles up anyway. Like you can't keep it down. So then we're like, okay, well, intellectualism didn't didn't work. So I'm just going to freaking have a belt, you know? And then you just start drinking your gin or your vodka or whatever. It's another wet. So we're very high on intellectualism in this culture. We need more play. We need more creativity. We need more jazz. We need more just having fun for the sake of having fun. We need more crying. We need more, not just all the positive emotions, all all to experience all the emotions. So I think the reason that this is such a uh, an out of the sort of mainstream discussion that we're having right now is because I think the mainstream is so high in intellectualism and sort of low in intuitivism. Absolutely. And see this every day uh, online, especially the internet seems to be such a space for over intellectualism with studies being cited for every, every little thing, especially in the health space where we both like to play. We, we both enjoy playing in the health space to share, share our wisdom and, and to share our, our methods and principles, because it's obviously a massive issue that we face as a collective with our health. I don't think I need to go into detail. I think most people are aware of, of the health crisis that we're facing, even though it's not talked about too much by the media as, as it should be. And I've, I've found personally in, in my transformation, if you want to call it that, at, we've all experienced deep, deep levels of, of depression and, and ill health at, at this point. If, I think pretty much every American has experienced a dip in their health to the point where they were unhealthy and, and had to get back, had to get back to, to a state of vitality. And, and the way that they do that, it, there's so many ways to the waterfall. But for, for me, play was such an essential ingredient because it, it just allowed me to kind of reconnect with, with myself. And I guess some would say my inner child and like just purpose and meaning. There's just so much that sort of snowballed out of that initial sort of connection to my own inner spark, my own desire to just enjoy life and, and have fun. And it's a big deal. How long did you get away from that? So do you remember a time when you were a kid that you were super playful? And then I'm really, really interested in this. And then, and then do you remember the path away from it? And then now the path back really? Man, that's such a fascinating question. I, I feel like it was over the years, slowly through the school system, just kind of drains it drained it out of me i know it was just sitting in a desk all day under the fluorescent lights kind of being forced to pay attention to things that i couldn't give two shits about and then over time just being more aligned with the belief that oh i need to focus on these certain things because otherwise i'm not going to be able to make money i'm not going to be able to live life if i don't you know force my attention onto these things that i really 
don't care about on any deep level. And then once I left college, you've, I kind of had all that momentum where then I had to have a job to pay for my college loans. And it was just more of this shit I didn't care about. And then eventually where I could find my footing as an adult, I started to be able to reconnect back to, oh, what do I really want out of life? It was sort of this quarter life crisis where I was like, hold on, let's just pump the brakes. Let's pause for a moment. Um, I got to kind of sort this out because it's not working. And, and it was that sort of rock bottom crisis, uh, you know, deep in the cave type moment where I was able to kind of find some some things and i'm grateful I was, I was able to get out of that place but it seems like a lot of it's just systemic do you remember do, you said you're you're how old are you now like a 32 did you 32. say yep and do you remember that mo like around the time where it was like where you started breaking out of it again and you were like okay i'm gonna start doing these things that are much that bring me that bring me joy you use the word joy that bring me joy and that are also going to get me healthy. Do you kind of remember around when that was, how long ago that was? Yeah, that was around that was around seven, seven years ago when I moved to Los Angeles. I just started spending a lot more time outside in the sun. And I, I do believe that had a big part of it. Growing, growing up in New Hampshire, I went to college in Pittsburgh, both dark, cloudy places, not much sunshine. Now I sort of revere the sun as, as like a, a god in a sense, as many ancient cultures did. It gave me a massive amount of vitality and, and a whole new, whole new level of consciousness. So there was, that, that certainly had, had a big part. Um, and, and then from there, it, the rest of, of my life started to bloom for, from that, from that seed. You know, I think that whole religion, I don't know that much about it, but whoever was worshiping Ra, right? The sun God, like it was like the Egyptians, like thousands of years ago, they nailed it. Like, like, we should have just stopped then. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, if there's a church of Ra, if you're out there and you're a member of the church of Ra, I'm in. Contact me. Let me know. I'm in because it's ex you're exactly correct. As a matter of fact, I live in the Northeast and it's now uh, late October. And I'm thinking about, I'm going to write a, a newsletter post in the next couple of weeks about seasonality and about the things that you can do to 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 flatten the seasonal effects uh because they're it, it's and it's possible to do turn on all you know wake up at the same time every day go to bed around the same time every day have good sleep hygiene wake up turn all the lights on supplement vitamin d move your body in the morning you know a, a whole a whole routine a whole like hygiene routine uh health hygiene um is critical in the winter. So there's about three months where if you're living in the Northeast or in the mid, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday who's in Wisconsin, we were talking about this. Um, you know, this is critical, but I want to get back. So you're talking about seven years ago. I will tell you something, Casey, you're super blessed, brother, because um, you discovered very young that there was something off and you needed to find that thing. And you discovered it very young, 25. Listen, some people don't discover it until they're much older. Like I got away from myself for like 30 years. You know, like when I was 12, I was having a ball. I was out playing all the time. It would disappear with a basketball at like, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And I would show up for lunch and then I would take off again with a glove that time, you know, and like come back, you know, and it was just play, 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 run, 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 run. And it took me years to get back. So you are so, so blessed. And even more than that, some people never get back to it. Some people sink further and further away, get less and less healthy, uh, lose that spark of life and creativity and fun. Some drink and some do other things that are uh, self-destructive. Uh, especially in this day and age, uh, and especially with, you know, metabolic health and obesity and, and you know, diabetes, I think, uh, you know, the cool kids uh, call it that now. Um, some people never get back to it. So at 25, you're blessed, you're wise beyond your years to have, uh, to have re re reclaimed that. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a definition of enlightenment that is sort of a Western definition. 
Um, cause we, you know, us Westerners, uh, like to understand stuff. We don't like having these ambiguous paradoxes. You know, you look at the Eastern religions and they're, they're vague, you know, like they're, they're, you know, you ask them a question and they kick you or you ask them a question and they give you a riddle back or they're, you know, they, or they, they pro- uh, propose something to you or write a poem that just leaves you more confused than you were before. And if you're Eastern, you're okay with that. But us, we love to like, just tell me why. Just, okay, enough with the riddles. Tell me why. So I was reading somewhere, it was like this Eastern text for Westerners. And they said, you know, enlightenment is really just rediscovering, rediscovering yourself. There's no, there's no secret to it. It's not as confusing or obscure as, you know, Siddhartha or Lao Tzu may have made it uh, appear. It's really just rediscovering that part of yourself when you were young that was who you were. Um, and so for you at 25, 26 years old, to be able to have, after the sort of diversion of the sitting under the lights, hey, don't talk, keep your pencil, you know, get your, you know, stay at your desk, open your page, you know, open your textbooks to page 37 and all that stuff that was sucking the life out of you um, to, to have rediscovered to, to have enlightened at 25, dude, you're really blessed, man. People, people go through their whole lives and just get further and further away and never make it. I'm incredibly grateful for that. And and it wasn't like a snap the finger moment. It was, it was really a gradual process. And I did put in energy into that process. My, my method for, for learning how to get back to a state of vitality and connection with myself was I would, I would go on long walks while listening to audiobooks and podcasts at like faster speeds, so like one X or two X. And and over the past seven years, I've, I've listened to around a thousand books. So it was it was a diligent practice that I had, but it was something that I really enjoyed. Like I would get an enormous amount of value from reading these books with my ears while I was moving my body, and and that will amplify learning. You know, in in addition to it just being an enjoyable practice, listening to audiobooks while walking. The the walking, the movement integrates the ideas better into your brain than if, than if you're simply sitting and, and staring at a page. Um, so, so that was my, my method for getting back to a state of childlike vitality and, and connection with, with who I really was in the path that I wanted to live. And I would also note that this place, uh, Los Angeles is, is kind of a pretty unique area in that it, it sort of fosters people who are weird and, and creative and different. And that energy is like, you can, it's palpable. You can feel it. It's, it's much different from the Northeast, which is, which is more of like, has more of, um, I guess, sort of inside the box approach to life. You know, Los Angeles is just filled with wackos and weirdos. So that sparks your creativity. You see other people being playful. You're around that energy. You catch, you catch the vibe, you know, you catch the bug and then, and then it makes it easier to express that in, in yourself as well. Uh, I would agree with all of that. And you're right about the location. You're blessed. Plus, you get great weather all all year round. Um, being in the Northeast is a little more difficult. I really relate with my kids and my dog. I, we were just talking about that before. My kids are playful all the time, you know. And they will say things about uh, school that, we, you know, we've had that conversation that kind of we're having right now. I've had that with my kids before. They know they're, they're uh, you know, there's that line in the uh, David Bowie song that's like, uh, uh, and the children that you spit on, uh, they're immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. Man, my kids know what's going on, man. You know what I mean? Like they can go, but they have a more, they have an advantage though, because they can go and discover anything they want online. Uh, they can look into anything. I mean, they're experts in areas. They know more about stuff than me. You know, it's crazy how much they, you know, they, they teach themselves how to program. They teach themselves how to play chess. There's all kinds of uh, resources online around stuff like that, where they can become experts just by, just, just by doing that stuff uh, without, you know, that's an independence from school like that. We're heading in that direction. You know, we're heading, there's going to be at some point profound changes in education and me and you will look back and be like, good, you know, like that was way overdue because that shit almost ruined my life. 
you know, sitting in that, sitting in those classes. The other, here's the other question. How far are you from Huntington beach? Um, probably depending on traffic. I bet it's like an hour South, um, around an hour South. Okay. Cause next I'll be out there. I was out there just in September at the future, uh, future proof conference There's a huge conference held outside a huge financial conference for, uh, advisors for wealth managers and investment advisors held outdoors. It was fantastic. Um, unlike any, usually it's like in some Marriott, you know, and it's like the bad carpets and the fucking chandeliers of death. And it's just like, you're like, Oh, and, um, this was held out on the beach and it was fantastic, but I'm going to be there again. I spoke there, but I'm going to be there again in next September. And before I'll hit you, dude, we'll, 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 we'll meet up, uh, somewhere in between, or you'll come down or I'll go up or whatever. Uh, we'll definitely hook up, man. It's only, it's only 11 months away. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. And you spoke at, at this, at this conference, the, the future proof, what, what did you speak about? And the other thought that's coming to mind is, is just tech technology in general. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on tech technology? Technology is invented as a tool to improve our uh, productivity. And they are tools. And uh, unfortunately, the phone has become a monster. And it is a destructive force. And it is still a great tool. It's an unbelievably powerful tool. As a matter of fact, if you, you can think about it this way, right? You can go, okay, there was a generation where, and you go back many years in our the history of our species, right? So we're talking about like evolutionary timeframes, not like last month. You could go back to a generation that was born our same species that was born and the wheel did not exist. This happened in history. I don't know the details of it, but this most assuredly happened in our past, in our, the past of our species. There was a generation that was born within five, 10 years of each other, thousands and thousands of human beings. Um, and the wheel did not exist. And then Somebody invented the wheel. I have no idea how long ago this was. Maybe it was 5,000 years ago. I don't know. Um, and then the wheel was invented. And then those people that were born without the wheel existing and becoming adults before the wheel existed had children, had offspring. And they were born into a world where the wheel existed. And you could just imagine how much the world changed. You know, you, you go hundreds of years and thousands of years in human during the period of human evolution where nothing changes. They're hunting the same thing. They're living in the same way. The, 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 the organizations, the, the, uh, the, the, the community organizations are exactly the same. Probably thousands of years go by, you know, where, they're, where it's exactly the same. And then something could happen where everything changes very, very drastically over a short period of time. The invention of the wheel generation was one of those, right? You can imagine how everything changed, our ability to move things, our ability to gather things. All of a sudden, overnight, a thousand uses for the wheel, profound invention. We can just imagine how things must have changed. Well, this is a wheel, same exact thing. Overnight, our world changed profoundly. And so our kids uh, and the implications we still don't understand. We're so, it's so new, we have no idea. And I'm not speaking qualitatively. I'm not saying for the better or for the worst. I have uh, the book, you know, book's still out there. But the uh, companies came along, companies like Apple, companies like Google, companies like Facebook, Meta, whatever they call it now. And they understand behavioral mechanics they understand the way our brain works and the different chemicals, uh, dopamine and 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 uh, other you know uh, uh, other uh, 
other chemicals and other receptors in our brains and how those work. And they have shaped behavior profoundly um, where we, and it's happened so quickly. It happened in less than a generation. Um, you know, there's a lot of ill there. There's a lot of negative. I mean, just even the effects that social media is having on our, on our children who are in middle school and high school, profound the way that things amplify. You know, you could have a problem 25 years ago or 30 years ago, and yeah, it was a problem. Something bad happened. Kids were, you know, got into an accident or got high or got drunk and they got in trouble for it or whatever. Now, today, it becomes public information like this. So it's all amplified. So there's many factors. So I would say that it is incredible, that we don't even realize how profound it is. And it is incredibly important that we get our control game for these tools. These are tools that we can use and they can be very powerful. I can communicate with people. Uh, I can organize my day. Uh, very power. I can gather information. Very, very powerful. But when those tools and the corporations that are really inside those tools start controlling us, big, big problem. So I would say, I know I'm going on and on here, but I would really, and obviously I feel really strongly about this. I would say, keep the, you know, at the, at, at the, at the, at the minimum, keep the phone out of your bedroom. It is affecting your sleep uh, in profound ways. If you're waking up in the middle of the night or you're opening uh, up a social app first thing in the morning or a news app first thing in the morning or in the middle of the night or even right before you go to bed, it's affecting your sleep. And if it's affecting your sleep, it's affecting your functioning. It's affecting your development. It's affecting your longevity and your health span. Uh, so, and it's hard to get it in order. I would just say, you know what? I'm in my uh, home office right now. I take this every evening at about eight o'clock. 8.30. It's why if you send me a message, you're not going to hear back from me at nine o'clock. If there's an emergency, no, eventually there'll probably be a problem. But every day for my own health, you know, I put it down right here at about 8, 8.30. And then, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll take my glasses off too. And I just am like, I'm done for the day with that. I close this door and I would really strongly recommend uh, people watching this to do the same thing at the beginning, at the minimum, that's a beginning, um, a beginning and sorry, rant over you, you know, you brought it up and I went off and I apologize for that. Beautiful. Well said. It, it's really important. It's really important because like you said, it, it happened so fast and your emphasis on the profound change to our behavior really is an important one because it, if we're all caught up in the momentum of it, we're, we're all experiencing a behavior change from this and I find it incredibly bizarre that we still call these things phones because using it as a phone is 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 one of the smaller ways that we use this. It. It is really a portal to infinite information, entertainment, distraction, connection. You can get anything delivered within days. It, it's it's a magic box is is what it is. And and if we think about our minds, they're so primitive. We it's this thing really is can it completely warps people's minds i know i know you studied um have a have a great grip on on economics and um behavioral economics there's there is a fascinating way to understand the mind there's this book called thinking fast and slow i forget the name of the author danny kahneman yes he he's like an award-winning very prominent economist and, and kahneman describes the way our minds work as system one thinking and system two thinking and, and the metaphor to understand that is we're like riding on an elephant and our neocortex, our little sort of executive function is like the rider on the elephant. And then we've got this primitive brain, the elephant, and it's, it's basically leading us along life. Like we have, we, you know, what we think of as us, this sort of awake and aware, um, you know, 
godlike being on t- within this sort of monkey body that is like that's sort of the rider on the elephant and and the phones do such a good job at luring the elephant where all of a sudden an hour has gone by we were scrolling and and we're in this like weird haze of techno confusion <laughs> it's 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 i cannot i'm so talk about a blessing i'm incredibly blessed that i kind of just barely dodged a bullet growing up where i didn't have this thing till like late college so i you know i feel I see a lot of the kids these days and it's such a, I cannot imagine the challenge that they're going through having to integrate this technology into living a, a, a flourishing life. I mean, modern life is hard enough having to deal with this thing growing up too is, is an immense challenge. And I believe the principle you outlined is a powerful one. And it, it, that's got to be baseline hygiene, similar to brushing your teeth. Like you cannot be using your phone early in the morning or, or late at night, late at night, especially because of the way that it disrupts sleep. That's got to be a principle of health for every human with a phone. You cannot be using that thing late at night. It's incredibly disruptive to sleep cycles, which then snowballs into every other aspect of life. Well said. And if you're a parent watching us right now, that boundary, setting that early with your children is incredibly important because there's major uh, insomnia uh, associated with uh, phone use. And if a kid that's 10, 12, 13 years old, 15 years old is able to take, we, what we do, we, we have a, uh, an area uh, next to the kitchen, like a butler's pantry. And we leave the phones. Uh, the kids don't take their phones up to their room. They leave them down there. And that's setting a really good precedent because the bed, again, the best, the bedroom is a place where the phones are not. And if you're having trouble getting your kid to, to do that, you, you know, you just say no, sorry, no. You say it really calmly. Uh, you're the boss. You're the parent. I'm getting a parenting plug in here. You're the parent. You're the boss. Don't ever forget that. Um, they bitch and moan. Just stay calm. I'm sorry, no, we're putting it in this drawer. We're putting it in this butler pantry. You'll get it back tomorrow. And that's that. It's not a discussion. It's not a debate. It's not a, uh, a, uh, a, a, a negotiation. It's just what it is. Because, yeah, you're right. Uh, that is, uh, you, you, you did dodge a bullet. And uh, in addition to that, you have set the boundaries too. Um, and it is not easy to do. I mean, these things are like magnets and I hear it all the time. Uh, I hear it from my, my, you know, clients that I have that have difficulty with it. And it is, uh, it's everywhere and we don't know the long-term effects yet. It's a huge global experiment that's happening right now. We don't know the effects fully on our brains. We just do know that it is highly, highly addictive. It's the same, and and I use that word very intentionally. It's the same thing going on with, you know, drugs, alcohol, food, and, you know, it's triggering similar chemicals in the brain that are chemicals that are like, oh, there's that chemical. Oh, that feels great. Let me do that again. Oh, that feels great. You know, it's behavioral, uh, 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 a uh, physio or biological slash behavioral component to that. What makes it extra addicting and extra difficult for me, and maybe for I know this is this is true for for a lot of us, is that there's real value there. There is actual tangible. It's a, such a double edged sword because, yeah, I can I've the so I started being active on Twitter two years ago. hadn't really been tweeting much, and now I've got friends all over the country. I've made this podcast where I'm connecting with brilliant minds like yourself. I'm learning. I'm growing, and all that is an offshoot of this app that I have on my phone. But at the same time, the other edge of that sword, if I'm not swinging it tactfully and skillfully, I'll slice myself and I'll spend way too much time reading nonsense or just wasting my creative energy on something that's really not valuable. And it's very difficult to discern. It's so hard to tell, well, is this moment going to be something that is is like a seed that plants into like a friendship later on down the line? Or am I just completely, you know, wasting, wasting my time on this thing? I think some of it does come down to your intention when when you're picking the thing up and also what is the energy that you're bringing to to the interaction with the tool is it an informed intuitivism like like you like you mentioned earlier that that this kind of energy free 
this this force of nature that that we've been talking about in this conversation or is it an escapism is it something that you're using to dull the emotion that you don't want to feel you know it's it's these are important conversations that and important ideas that are going to be even more important as this thing becomes more integrated in, into our life as as the future unfolds i don't think there's any question about that I, I, and i think we're early on in this um i mean think about how many things were invented in the first 20 years after the wheel was invented. And then think about the next 20 years. And then the next 20 years. I mean, you know, the automobile, how old is the automobile? 100, I don't know, 125 years old or something like that, 120 years old. That was thousands of years later did we get the automobile, which is a really an invention that is, you know, has four wheels. It's everywhere, especially I look around Los. It's like cars are everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's just piles of cars. You sit in traffic, like what are these? How do we, how do we make so many cars in 125 years? It's it's insane. You know, that's I mean that that is actually a similar uh, similar to the conversation that we're having right now. It's a, there, there's a direct parallel. It's like we've had all these incredible uh, uh, inventions, not just starting with the with the. Uh, the mobile device, I'll call it. I won't call it a phone. I'll call as per your recommendation, it's a mobile device. It started a lot earlier than that, right? It started with the probably with the industrial revolution and electricity. And all of these inventions began to happen at a faster and faster clip. And then the microchip and uh, Moore's law that we were able to gather more information and more information on the same size or smaller uh, 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 pro, you know, processor at a faster and faster rate, an accelerating rate, all of this just snowballed. And so even the automobile, there was nobody ever when, the, you know, the day after the automobile was first invented, nobody stopped and goes, wait a minute, let's think about the implications a hundred years from now. If we begin mass producing these things, let's stop before we go headlong, before Henry Ford, you know, starts mass producing these things, let's stop for a minute and just think about it. Nobody ever did that. Nobody ever did that with the phone either. And, you know, um, as genius as Steve Jobs was, uh, I doubt that he could have foretold all of the implications. You know, there was a one time uh, Einstein was quoted as saying, if I had known what I was coming up with, if I had known what I was inventing, I would have been a watchmaker, you know, and he was talking about the bomb, you know, because, you know, he figured out uh, that, you know, uh, the atomic bomb would explode. Right. And he was like, you know, if I had known the implications, I just, and he was a, he was a tinkerer. He was a watch. Uh, uh, somebody who would like open up a watch. You could imagine how he would be that way. Open up a watch and play with the gears and all that stuff. He did that anyway. But he said, you know, if I had known the implications, so we don't know everything's an experiment in vivo. It's an experiment in real time. We have no idea where we're heading. The only thing that we can do, you as an individual, me as an individual, and all of you watching this as an individual, the only thing that we can do is really, can you know, is is determine our own behavior and decide what we're going to do um, and whether that is something that is easy to do, um, you know, like walking or it's something difficult to do, like putting the phone down at eight o'clock at night and walking out of the room and closing the door and not looking at it again. That's it. It's true. It's true. And Kevin Kelly, who's a, a Bay Area author and, and technologist, put forth this idea that it has stuck in my mind about technology, that it's this new kingdom of life where we've got plants, animals, fungi, technology is this this new life form that that's growing that we're sort of ushering into creation that I guess culminates with artificial intelligence being a new form of consciousness on this planet. I'm not sure that I completely agree with that. I guess time will tell, but I tend to look at technology as a manifestation of our over-intellectualization, which is something that we kind of talked about earlier, this, this hyper intellectual mode of, of expressing ourselves on this planet and sort of the other end of the spectrum of that, this sort of intuitive uh, angle of life tends to drive me towards nature. And, and I do sense a balance shifting where we're getting away from technology and we're going 
back to the natural world. We're getting our bare feet in the grass, sunshine on our face. We're jumping into the water. We're breathing fresh air. And that, to me, is the solution to a lot of this over technocentric world that seems to be emerging from many powerful players and this this people-powered movement, this grassroots movement is going back to the earth, back to the land, back to our source of, of true authentic nourishment. And, and the more I've done that in my life, the more balance I find, the more health and healing and okayness that I'm able to be at one with all that is. And as much as that may sound like some hippy dippy nonsense, give it a, give it a whirl. If you haven't already, this this natural world is rising up to counterbalance the over over technification, and and that's something that that does fill me with with a lot of hope and energy for for the future, and something that I'm hoping to see more of with, with those around me and, and around the world as well. I would agree with that twenty thousand percent. Nature is so rich uh, experientially. We soak it up. I think there's an evolutionary basis to that as well. Um, so I don't think you're, you know, I don't think that's out of line. I don't think that's, uh, it may run against the current of cult, our culture, but I think it's very human, extraordinarily human. And um, in addition to that, I would agree with you that there are, there is a movement or there is a, 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 a group of movements that are happening simultaneously that are not fully organized yet. There's a loose band. There are people who have very different points of view. There are people who don't even know each other who are doing it, um, who are not aware. So I think it's in a very early stage of development uh, towards this movement of naturalistic health. And it's a movement and it's really subversive. You know, it's really anti-authoritarian. And and we're living in a culture where there's such a predominance of uh, authority. And this is the way you have to behave. And this is the way what you have to do. And it's very, there's there's an economic and a corporate component to that. And, you know, the, 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 the processed food companies and the drug companies and the influence that they have um, and the tech companies that we were talking about before and the influence that they have on uh, the culture and uh, the influence that they have on our government. Um, and, you know, they're lobbying like crazy. They're great at marketing and they build addictive products. All of them. Right. The drug companies do it. The technology companies do it, and you know the the, uh, the 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 person facing technology companies do it, and the, um, uh, the pharmaceuticals and the food companies do it. Great at marketing, great at lobbying. What a what a what a what a what a what a pay, you know what a deadly duo of components, right? And so, what's our uh, you know our solution is really a subversive one. Even though it's very natural, get out in nature, have a little fun, move your body, eat natural food, get some rest at night. That's subversive. Becoming a, we live in a culture that is so unhealthy that becoming healthy is actually a subversive act. It's a rebellious act. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of, there was a book, you know, there's a whole uh, subgenre of literature called dystopic literature, right? And so we're all familiar with a lot of these books like Brave New World, 1984, Fahrenheit 451. And there was a really early one. Uh, Player Piano was another one, Kurt Vonnegut. There was a really, really early one that not many people are as familiar with. You just made me think of this, by the way. It was called We, and it was written maybe in the 20s. So it was written over 100 years ago by a Russian author called Eugenov Zamyatin. And he, the dystopic society was in this sort of giant glass dome and everything was ruled by mathematics and everybody ate the same sort of gelatinous food, almost like motor oil, almost like we were not as human and we were more machines. And it was called the one state. And all of the 
uh, homes were made of glass so everybody could see what everybody was doing. And the one state was watching everything that you did, sort of like 1984, but written way before 1984. Um, there's a lot of parallels there, you know, to what we're talking about right now, to us becoming more intellectualized and less of nature. And as a matter of fact, when they rebel, there's always that protagonist's in the, in the dystopic uh, story that rebel against the uh, against the one state or against Big Brother or whatever whatever it is, the way they rebel is they they have a sneak outside of this glass dome into nature, so they go back to nature, they go back to primitive, they go back to uh, 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 our our real nature, you know, our real. Uh, uh, like we were talking about play and all of that stuff. And you just reminded me, it was a great book, We by Eugenov Zamyatin. It's a great read, not known, but it had a huge influence. It influenced Orwell and it influenced Tuxley and it influenced Bradbury before them. Um, but it is really kind of what, you know, we have a very rational uh, culture right? and, and it's over-rationalized, right? It's intellectualized, as, as you were saying. Um, and we need a little bit more primitive, you know, to get sort of back in that balance. So you're getting outside, you know, you run around in the sun and in the beach. Um, our boy, uh, 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 Keith, um, talks about taking the ocean pill. Is that his line? Yeah. Dude, what a great line. Taking the ocean. <laughs> so I'm out in Huntington last month and I was like, I jumped in the ocean before my presentation. And I was like, I'm taking the fucking ocean pill, man. Like he, I was totally thinking about him at that time, but that's the thing, right? You come out and you feel great and you smell like a salt and you, the whole thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the ocean, that was a big shift for me as well. There's this book called blue mind, by Dr. Wallace J Nichols, I mention it a lot because of it's a very powerful way of perceiving not just the ocean, but any river, lake, any body of water, the way that it affects our, our minds and, and our body, it, it, he describes it as shifting from gray mind into blue mind. We're much more alive and awake and aware. And the ocean itself, we absorb 80 plus minerals and, and the electromagnetic energy of the earth that a lot of us are detached from. You're going to get those negative ions when you go in the ocean or anytime you have your bare feet on the earth, you're absorbing electromagnetic energy from lightning striking the globe. And that's, there's solid science on that as well, but you're not going to hear about it in the mainstream glass bubble that had been constructed by these big tech, big pharma, big food, lobbying and marketing. We really are in a glass bubble. And it's amazing someone wrote that book 100 years ago because metaphorically, it's so on point to where we are. And we do need to dig our ways out of there and get back to our roots, to to our real root level nourishment as, as a species. And I really appreciate the, the time that you spent with me here today talking all about this. We're, we've been playing some great jazz and I've been enjoying every minute of it. And is there any sort of last words that you'd like to share with, with, with anyone, anyone listening? I think, I, I think we left it all. I think we left it all on the field, man. That was a great conversation. Uh, we went over an hour. I can't even believe it. It feels like 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It was whiz by and um man I, we could have gone i feel like it could have gone for another another couple hours on this one we'll have to we'll have to run it back sometime in the future we'll do it another time i'm gonna start a podcast i'll have you on and i want to talk about we're gonna talk a little about something a little different we're gonna talk about and this would have been another topic we only got to one topic today really maybe maybe two there was a whole other thing i wanted to talk about we don't have the time but about the way that fitness affects our performance in our daily life. You know, the way fitness affects uh, our, our career, the way it affects our relationships, the way all of these elements, these components of our life, the things that we do daily, fitness is a great enhancer of. I call it fitness alpha. I got cute names for everything. Call it fitness alpha. But we'll do that another time. Sounds awesome. I'm on board. Anytime that we want to have that conversation, I'm just hit me up. You know where to find me. I'm, I'm definitely down and, and I'll have Dr. Phil Perlman's information in, in the show notes below. So all of that will be linked so you can find his newsletter on Substack, his, his, his Twitter and his website. All that, all that will be there. Anything else that you want me to include, it, it will all be down there. And um, yeah, wow. That was, that was awesome. Thank you again. Dude, great pleasure being here, bro.